Welcome to the Cyber Talk Africa podcast. My name is Afiz Adiemo and um, I'm the host of the podcast. From time to time, we like to interview cybersecurity experts like yourself. Uh, they give us a brief insight into their background, how they got started in cybersecurity, the challenges they've been facing, you know, and also discuss some of the trending news in cybersecurity. So, can we start by having you introduce yourself? Tell us a brief about your background and um, how you got into cybersecurity. Sure. Thank you, Afiz, for having me, and thank you to um, CyberTalk Africa for hosting this program. Uh, so, I'll tell you a little about myself. My name is Megan Jacko, and I have always been interested in technology, just someone who's always been very curious and loved to learn. What I noticed a while ago was as I was studying technology and um, programming, that I really wanted to be in industry. And I was teaching, so I was teaching as a STEM educator, I was teaching um, 17 and 18 year old students for us 11th and 12th grades, so the last two years of high school. And I was teaching computer science, engineering, uh, and, I, and I love that work, I love teaching, but I also wanted to be doing that work in addition to teaching about it. And so I decided a few years ago, about four years ago, that I would look into what is the process for switching into a career in cybersecurity? How could I do that? Um, and so first I decided technology general, and then I narrowed to cybersecurity because I love to help others. And I always have loved this constant learning, and it seemed to be the nice pairing of those things where I could, you know, it's always changing, so I'm continually learning. And then it's such an important field and industry that I could be helping others. And so that's what I really noticed. Um, and that's why I decided to go into it. Um, I went and pursued a second bachelor's degree and I've just graduated last week. So that's really exciting. Um, wow, congratulations. Thank you so much. And I've been working with Cyber Future Foundation, um, which is a US-based organization, but they do work around the world because they work on cyber peace. Uh, and I've been working with them on operations and as well as risk assessments. Um, so it's been really fascinating work uh, to get to already be doing this. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Right, thank you. So what are the challenges you faced since you moved into cybersecurity, especially being a woman, you know? Sure, I think one of the big things is, and this can be for anyone, um, is just trying to figure out what you want to do with cybersecurity because it's such a broad field. And so you have to figure out, okay, well, where where do my skills and interests and passions match up? And then how will I develop that um, into something that's more than just novice level? And so that was something that I really had to do a lot of thinking about. Um, and there's some really nice visuals out there that you may have seen before where it has the domains of cybersecurity and it almost looks like a, a web with um, bubbles. And so I, I looked at that. I looked at some different websites that tracked careers with skills that went into them. And I thought about, you know, what are some of the things I like to do? And so I, I ultimately decided some um, pairing between risk assessment and cloud security because it's very proactive on the side of security. You're looking at, well, what is an organization doing now and how could they be more secure? And then cloud security, because so many things are shifting to the cloud, 
and it has a little bit more of a technical side to it as well. Um, so that's been um, one challenge was to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then another challenge I think that um, does happen with women is sometimes uh, we are not maybe taken as seriously um, in the field. So um, for example, um, I had an interview where I was offered a position um, to be an intern, um, even though you know, like the position would start once I'd finished my degree and everything. And it was kind of an interesting conversation where I was asked, you know, oh, you'll be in charge of one of our things that we do at this organization. Um, and to me, an intern is not in charge of a product. And so it was kind of a little bit of back and forth between, well, does that title make sense? Um, do these other parts make sense? And so I ultimately decided to not go with that role because it did not seem that they were valuing you know what i was bringing to the table i i have over a decade's worth of professional working experience um and i have a degree in computer science with a focus in cybersecurity networking um and so it's just an interesting conversation that um it, you'll never know it could have happened to anyone but it, it felt more like well maybe this is happening because i am a woman but you, you just don't know if that's the case right you can one can never tell so right right so before we go straight uh into the topic for today we've had a lot of um cyber attacks and um uh, accidents throughout the year solar wind colonial pipeline attack you know and the likes of that which um particular attack did you think was unique in the way it was executed and um all the parties involved the aka group involved and um the amount paid at all let me say in terms of um uh effects so which of the cyber attack events that has happened throughout the year really really caught your uh fancy to say sure so that that's a really interesting question um and there have been there have been just a huge increase in attacks that have been happening right um so let, let's take that back a step for a moment so one of the things to think about is why it has there been such an increase in attacks, right? Um, and a lot of them have been ransomware-based attacks. And so literally right. one of the reasons is there's organization around it. So there's, you, you've heard of, co of course, like software as a service, right? Infrastructure as a service. Um, so now there's a thing called ransomware as a service. Uh, and so it's it's organized and it, it pays out. People will pay to have their systems back online because downtime equals, you know, loss of revenue. And so it, it has become noticed um, that people are paying huge amounts of money um, in Bitcoin, um, which, you know, is not as traceable. Um, and so that that is a very real thing that's happening. Um, and so because that has been noticed and we as humans can learn, um, you know, the, the cyber criminals are, are learning as well. And um, so two of the big attacks that I think are of particular interest are KCIA and also um, the Colonial Pipeline. Um, and so if you look at these two attacks, it's not that they're unique because KCIA was a supply chain attack and in 2020, there was solar winds which used sunburst, and that was a supply chain attack. 
Um, but what's interesting about these attacks is their this attack, and then the other one I'm going to talk about will be Colonial Pipeline, is just their their impact um, was so pervasive because you had things from um, you know kindergarten kindergartens had to shut down in New Zealand to grocery stores in Sweden. Every single grocery store of this one chain had to shut down because of Casea. Um, and so it ends up being this, this wide impact that's so international because of the interconnectedness of information. Um, and then you have, um, you know, Colonial Pipeline. Um, you, you literally saw people like I'm on the East Coast of the United States. You saw, you probably saw in the news people using like trash bags to collect gasoline, which is like, why would anyone do that? But um, there was a, you know, immediate impact that was felt for um, pricing for gas, um, for people going to gas stations. Um, like people were comparing it to 1970s in the United States when there were lines around the block because there was a fuel shortage. Um, and so you just, you can see it. And it's where, it's where the digital starts impacting the physical. Because we kind of think about like, oh, this is my digital life. Oh, this is you know, everything I'm doing online. But it ends up being so interconnected internationally and it ends up being so interconnected to our physical life that these attacks do impact. And so Colonial Pipeline um, was a ransomware attack. Um, and that, that attack they actually apologized for, um, which was interesting as well. So you also have some organizations like We're Evil and Dark Side that are doing some um, public relations. So very different, right? Um, it, it's not like not Petya or it's not like WannaCry. It, it's it's um, right. completely different than those type of attacks that we saw multiple years ago. So I, th I think those are really interesting. And I do think it's very likely, just based off of trend, we'll see more of, of that thing. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but um, yeah, I, I would think that it will continue and we'll see more of it. True. I, I agree with that. Um, before the year runs out, it is possible we hear of um, some very high profile cases again. So to move forward, there's a bit of divide among cyber channels when it comes to paying of ransom uh, mm -hmm. when there is a cyber attack. Where do you stand? Do you feel, okay, because uh, organizations need to move on and they need to uh, get their systems back online, they have to pay the ransom, or you are also taking the moral high ground. It is a cyber attack, their criminals do not pay. Where do you stand? Yeah, also an interesting question. So, I mean, I I personally, and this is just me speaking personally on it, do not think the ransom should be paid. Um, I understand why places do pay it because they want to have that uptime, right? Um, they don't want to have any time where their organization is down. Um, I think the risk that you take when you pay it is multifold, right? So you're paying into the cyber criminal organization, which gives them more resources, which makes it more likely that this could happen again to you because it, it, it not it's not that, oh, it happened once, it can never happen again. <laughs> it can happen right. again. Um, 
and and it makes it more likely it could happen to other organizations as well. Um, I know that some localities um, have have laws that say if you're a government organization, you're not allowed to pay it. So it also depends on like who your organization is, like what type of makeup they are. Um, but yeah, I, I just I think it's so problematic to pay it. And the thing is, okay, so you get that uptime back, right? But they've they've shown it's been shown that um, some organizations um, have the data decryption be purposefully slower so it's an intentional thing and then other places you just you don't know about the integrity of your data so how can you say that this data has not been modified right and right. then your backups have been wiped um you know how can you then say that like there's not any you can't check it against that and then also um, how can you say that they don't still have a back door to exfiltrate more of your data? Um, so I, I think that it's very problematic to pay on multiple levels. Um, and then if you think about it, okay, let's say you pay, you know, a certain amount of Bitcoin um, for the ransomware. Now you have fewer resources as an organization to bolster your cybersecurity. So, you know, instead of paying, what if you spend that money on security? So it, it, it's almost a mind shift that needs to happen with some organizations because some places really see cybersecurity as just a cost department where um, cybersecurity, you know, it takes resources. But if you start seeing cybersecurity also is a profit department, because by having really good security, your organization will maintain uptime, your organization will be protected, and the reputation of your organization can be maintained because it hurts the reputation of an organization. So if you see it as more of this proactive protection piece, I think that can like shift the way that some are looking at, oh, hey, when we're doing budget cuts, let's make sure we cut some money from this department. Um, because they aren't they aren't generating they aren't generating revenue, but it could really be looked at from a different perspective, I believe. Right. So uh, I know we can go on about attacks and ransomware attacks for you know the next one hour, but sure. because we are short of time, I would like you to speak on social engineering. A lot of people know about uh, ransomware attacks, uh, DDoS attacks money in the middle attack but ransomware uh social engineering is one of the most um effective forms of cyber attacks that cyber criminals can you kindly give us a brief around social engineering and why um, it is one of the most uh, devastating cyber attacks yeah, absolutely. So let's let's first dissect the phrase a little bit, social engineering, right? So you and I are, are having a conversation right now, right? So like in a sense, we're being social. We're, we're two humans interacting. Um, and then engineering is to, to do something, to make something. Um, and so social engineering itself is, um, you know, people interacting or sometimes it's led by um, bots or AI. So it's not necessarily a human on the other end but it, it's a social interaction exchange 
of, of information that happens. Um, and then you are trying to get someone to do something for the engineering. Um, and so the end goal of social engineering differs depending on obviously who's executing that and what type there is, because there's many, many types. Uh, but the whole purpose is going to be to try to get a person to do something for you. Um, and then maybe that will lead to XYZ down the line, or maybe it leads to a direct line of attack. Um, and then I can go into some different types if you'd like as well. Right. So sure. So um, one of the biggest types of social engineering is phishing. Um, and so this is spelled with a PH. Um, so not like you're um, going out and you have your fishing rod and you're having this beautiful um, trout and you're having that for dinner. Um, it's, it's similar to that in the sense because you are sending out like some sort of feeler or thing. So the name connects with that. Um, and so there are even within it, phishing. So social engineering, broad topic, phishing also, there's many types, um, but I'll just speak yes. to it generally. Um, so it, for example, you might get an email that says, um, it, you know, click this thing or do this thing. So just the other day I received an email that was, um, a phishing email that said, oh, as per your account with such and such organization, you've been charged $300. In order to fix this, you need to click here and do this thing. And so, you know, I'm usually fairly wary before I just click something. So I, I looked at it a little bit and I was like, oh, the person sending this email doesn't even have an email from the organization. Their email is from an at Gmail. Um, and so I did just like a little bit of tracing around and I was like, well, first of all, I don't, you know, I kind of knew it was fishy because I didn't even have an account, um, with that organization, but you know, it's kind of like a couple tells would be, um, do you even do business with that organization? Is this the normal way they contact you? Does it look weird? Um, it, does it maybe have some grammatical errors? Um, it, you know, because if it's if it's like a top level professional organization, they're going to like check through all of those things. Um, is it from an actual business email? Um, so those are some really surface things. Some more sophisticated phishing attacks can mask a lot of that. Um, and so it is trickier to tell. And then a lot of the times there's a sense of urgency with it. Like you have to fix this now. You have to do this now. And they're trying to create that must like, you know, it's psychological trying to create a little bit of fear on your end, a little bit of, oh, this needs to be fixed and maybe a social bond of I'm going to help you. Um, and so that's one of the ways it can be really damaging as well, because people can feel embarrassed. People can feel devastated. Um, it, people maybe have their computer taken over. Um, maybe they have their bank accounts accessed. So there's a lot of really big negatives to it. Um, another type is called pretexting. And this can have a lot of similarities to phishing. And in pretexting, someone might set up a scenario where they say, oh, we need you to authenticate your account. Um, you know, such and such has happened. Um, we need to make sure that you are the right person. And it sounds very official. And then by giving them that information, they now have more information on you 
which they can use for a future attack. So this can be used for identity theft or for logging in as you, or maybe like a, a multi-pronged attack where once they gather that information, then they can call um, the service and say, oh, I'm this person. And now they try and log in as you and they get all that information sent to them. Um, and then a final attack I'll, I'll mention um, that is a social engineering attack is a physical security attack. So uh, let's say you work in a big office building and um, someone is coming in like right behind you and they say, oh, would you mind holding the door for me? And of course you are going to say, sure, like I'll hold the door for you. Maybe they're even carrying something, right? This is all part of the social engineering. <clears throat> and so they, they look official. They look like they should be there. <clears throat> and then because like you're trusting another human and they like look like they should be there and everything um you let them in and now they have gained access to the building you work in now this is obviously going to depend on like what type of physical security you also have at your front area so if you're like um, a big office building you might then have to scan your id to get in but what if they're continuing with this you know um, social engineering tactic and they say to the security guard that's there, oh, you know what? They're like patting down themselves. Oh, I forgot my badge. I'm so sorry. I can't believe, oh my gosh, my, my kids were just like all over the place this morning. You know how it is, right? They're going through this whole thing, but the whole thing's a lie, right? And then the security guard feels bad for them. And then the security guard badges them in and now they have actual secure access to your building. Um, so that's called tailgating because they follow you in. Um, and, you know, part of sometimes a risk assessment is people do the physical security check where they see how far can I get in someone's location? What levels of places can I get to? Can I get to a server room? Can I get to walking around where people are working and do some shoulder surfing and see what passwords they have? Um, so that is sometimes a technique that's used in, in pen testing, um, risk assessments, um, but it's also something that cyber criminals use as well. Um, so those are three different types of social engineering. We've got phishing, pretexting, and tailgating. Wow. So how do people identify these types of um, social engineering attacks and how do they avoid them? Yeah, so, so like I said, they're all pretty different, but phishing and pretexting tend to happen uh, through your devices. So it could be through email, um, it could be through your phone, um, it could be through a social media, right? Um, it, so if you and I are speaking for the first time right now, um, but when you told me that you were um, someone who hosted CyberTalk Africa, I looked up CyberTalk Africa. I'm like, well, is this a real podcast? Um, is this a real thing? It is a feed. Um, and so, you know, before you click on any link, you want to make sure like that you know a little bit about the person on the other side. Um, so it's not that you just want to click anything. So there, there's a certain amount of um, skepticism you almost need to have, you have to cultivate. Um, I, I know I get lots of um, SMS messages that will say, oh, just click this thing to do blah, blah, blah. And I don't click on any of those really. Um, most links you can search and find. Um, and then with pretexting, 
you know, a lot of the time it's just not giving that information. So like, let's say you have an account with someone and they say, oh, we need you to give us this information to identify yourself. Instead of replying to the email, you can call that organization and say, hey, I got this email that says this thing. I just want to verify. Um, and then you're kind of going through it's a, it's a little extra steps on your part, but you're making sure your, your information is secure as possible. The tailgating is going to completely depend on where you work. So, um, you know, if someone's coming in right after you, um, and you don't know them, right. Um, it, it's kind of a weird, rude thing, but you might need to say, Oh, I'm sorry. We have a policy. I can't let you in. Right. And that, that can be really hard to do as humans because we want to help out someone, but you almost just need to be like, well, I can't verify that they for sure work here. And I don't want to be the person who let in someone, but it, it's very hard because, you know, you're kind of looking at everything with another sense of skepticism. And um, so I, I think the, the physical social engineering can be the hardest because you're there with that person. Now, if, if you're just like a general person who works in the office, that's a little different. If you're the security guard, you should not let anyone in who doesn't have a badge. Like that just should be like standard. Like whatever story they make up, if they're like, oh my gosh, this and this happened, doesn't matter. They don't have a badge, they can't come in. <laughs> if, if that's like the, the system you have in your office. So it, it depends on what your role is. Right. So from what you said now and what you um, ended with, it means the awareness shouldn't be only for the staff in-house. It should also extend to the security uh, personnel, uh, the, um, let's say, the cleaners and the likes. Of course. All right. All right. Yeah, cybersecurity is definitely everyone's responsibility. Right. So, can you give us, um, like, maybe two or one example of um, high-profile cyber attacks that were done uh, uh, with social engineering? Um, let me think. So, I mean, I know a lot of just minor ones have been done with. Um, phishing like I can give an example of this is this is an interesting one actually so this happened earlier this year um and it was in England um and there was a uh training exercise that was being done actually so it was a um you know do our employees have enough knowledge about cybersecurity, about what a phishing email looks like to not click these things. Um, and so the way the email was written was, um, you know, we thank you so much uh, for all of your hard work during these trying times with COVID-19. And uh, here you can click here for a message from the, um, leader of the organization and um you know everyone's going to be getting a bonus so they're going to be getting extra money um and we just wanted to thank you for all of your hard work blah blah blah, blah. um but then when you clicked 
it actually was a phishing test. Um, and so it wasn't that any of these employees were getting extra compensation. Um, it, it was a test that was to see would people click on this thing. And so that, that was something that caused a lot of um, kind of uproar because of the way it was executed. Um, and so a lot of people felt that they were tricked and betrayed from it. Um, so that would be like an example of like a phishing um, training exercise that that made the news. Like I, I heard about it here. You may have heard about it too. Um, that I thought was really interesting. Um, other ones that are like famous with um, tailgating. I know uh, Kevin Mitnick would do um, a lot of um, both fishing with phone things and then some physical things. Um, it, so he's written a number of books about, um, you know, things that he used to do. And then now he's um, switched over to be an ethical hacker um, and uh, things that he does now. Uh, so he had a number of things where he would call phone companies and impersonate various people and, and try to um, get them to sign over their, uh, you know, as much information as possible. And then one other one um, that I think is still the largest amount of money transferred was um, a phishing over the phone uh, thing where someone was calling back and forth between two different departments of a bank and they were saying, oh, you know, can you give me um, the transfer information and such and such. And then they would call back this other department and they'd say, oh, I just got off the phone um, with uh, Susan and she gave me this information, but I'm missing one piece. Um, and then they would kind of get bits and pieces from each different person who thought they were being so helpful to this bank executive, but he didn't work there at all. And then he was able to get um, millions of dollars transferred to his bank account because of that. So that was a complete phishing attack um, it, where he was just talking to people and getting them to give him information. Um, so I think that's still the largest amount of money uh, that's been taken. Um, so yeah, it's, it has been done. Um, a lot of the times it's it's smaller um, attacks where you might uh, hear about like a neighbor or a grandparent. A lot of times older people are targeted um, it, that maybe have their bank information taken or their, um, you know, their accounts get all drained because of it. So a lot of times it's not, um, as high profile, but the some of the malware attacks end up being um, people clicking on things as well too. So sometimes phishing then leads to a malware attack that can lead to a ransomware attack. Um, right. Uh, so before we round up, I would like to um, have your take on uh, what is currently happening, and that is a lot of people believe cyber criminals are becoming state sponsored. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mention names and I don't want to mention countries, but there's a strong belief now that the most sophisticated cyber attacks we've uh, witnessed recently were state-sponsored. Uh, what is your take on this? So that's that's very complicated from an international relations standpoint. Um, so 
yes, there is a lot of belief that um, certain organizations advance persistent threats, APTs, um, are nation state funded. Um, I don't think it's something I want to weigh in on right now, um, but it, it, it is, there's a lot of belief around um, certain APTs. Maybe they don't necessarily have funding, but they have permission um, to do what they're doing just from how pervasive certain attacks have been. Um, now, certain places like um, Dark Side had said, you know, we're not affiliated with any nations. We're just doing what we're doing. So, um, yeah, but it's not something that I want to weigh in in regards to saying this country or this is happening. Right, right. Uh, I understand. I understand. So, thank you so much, Megan, for your time. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and um, sharing your experience, your challenges your background and also telling us uh, about social engineering. I'll be back soon when we start the YouTube series for the podcast where we get into more details and um, there's going to be more explanations on the different types of um, cyber attack. A roundup, do you have any closing remarks you'd like to share with us and um, our listeners? Sure. Yeah, I definitely like to share two things. Um, you know, just stay curious with everything that you're doing. Um, keep asking great questions. And then, um, you know, one of the things with, with cyber attacks is anyone can be a cyber defender. So thinking about what your role is with technology in your organization or what your what technology you use as an individual for at home, if you can become more educated about best practices, you too can be a cyber defender and you can help others too. You can teach them what you know. So it's it's something that anyone can can increase their learning about. Um, it, you know, things are always changing in cybersecurity. So everyone in cybersecurity is also always learning. Um, it, and, you know, just even little best practices of having multi-factor authentication um, it, and it, um, not using the same password for every account can be really helpful to protect yourself um, against some of the attacks that exist. So thank you, Afiz, for having me. Thank you, CyberTalk Africa, for having this podcast. And I absolutely look forward to coming back in the future whenever you'd want to have me. All right. Thank you so much. And um, enjoy the rest of your day. Yes, you as well. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah, goodbye. Bye.